just kind of thinking about this topic, it reminded me of when I was younger. And when I'm talking about younger, I'm talking about seventh grade. Um, and the friends I had. So some of the friends that I had, uh, in quotes, for those who are listening online, uh, as we're streaming this across the world today, we're not. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so my friends uh, out there, when I was younger, they, I was actually the same size as I am now back in seventh grade. So I was jacked. I was big. Puberty hit me first. It was awesome. And then I never grew anymore. So anyway, that will come into play in a minute. Um, so these friends that I had, they're the type of friends that we'd be on the bus and be like, Andrew, who do you like? And I'd be like, I like Megan, you know, thinking we're friends. They'd be like, cool. Hey, Megan, Andrew likes you. Yeah, these are my friends. Uh, So, yeah, that was fun. I was like, no, I don't. And I did, but whatever. Not holding that all the way from elementary school. Um, But I remember one time some of these friends, since I was as big as I was, they would invite me over to their house to, like, you know, I guess fight on the trampoline. Like, play fight, guys, chill. Um, And they did jujitsu, so they knew, like, moves, you know. Um, Conor McGregor stuff, and the stuff he couldn't use last night, but anyway, um, and so they would test out their moves on me, and I was the same size as I am then, and so I would just use my strength and fight, and usually win, but eventually two against one always hurts, so one time in particular, these guys, um, they, I don't know what it was, but it was a lawn chair, and they put the lawn, we had a lawn chair at the edge of our property, where I guess we were all sitting in it, and eventually I guess they thought it was a great idea to tie me to it, and I don't know why I let them or if it just kind of happened. That's how memory works. It's kind of hazy. But uh, eventually they, they were tying ropes around me and I was stuck to this chair. And see, what they did as good friends is they ran and they hid and they just left me out there. And so people were coming by. They were walking and they like, you're all right? So I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And cars would pull up laughing. And so, you know, I was confined to this chair and stuck. And see, here's the thing. Out of all the friends in the world, you're like, why don't you just have chosen different friends? Looking back, that's probably a better idea. But anyway, so I couldn't do that. But what, the thing was, I was free to make a decision to be with the friends who I was with. And the people, unfortunately, that I chose to be with were people that tied me to a chair and left me on the side of the road. Nice. So, moral of the story, choose your friends wisely. But what we've been talking about here in this series is we've been talking about though we have freedom, uh, we can sometimes submit ourselves or, or make choices that kind of confine us. You know, um, we kind of get stuck. Maybe it'd be a struggle or maybe it might be a pursuit, um, a endeavor of like, okay, well, these people have all these material wealth and I want this. Or, hey, you know what? These people look like they're having a great time. I want to live like that. And, and though we are free to, to choose um, how we want to live, we can sometimes choose a path that gets us confined. And we found that though we live in a free country, we've been talking about how we use our freedom, it matters. And see, the problem is that our culture kind of pushes us to do as we please. You know, you, you hear this around, you're like, you know, you hear people say, hey man, do whatever makes you feel good. Like, go ahead and do it. If that makes you feel good, like, you go do it. You know, and that, that's what our culture kind of pushes us to the edge, to live how we want to eat what we want, to do what we want, to even sometimes even say what we want. And we can all admit here tonight that not always doing whatever we want brings freedom. We kind of looked at culture last night, and we would look past culture's veneer, because culture has like a veneer. And it, it's kind of like this outer coating that looks nice. It's the, it's the Instagram post. When you're going through Instagram and you're seeing, you know, people just living it up. You're seeing, you know, all these different, you know, celebrities and, and their riches and their 
you know, fun that they are having. And it looks like, man, they are living a full life. They look like they are free. But when we kind of look past the veneer, when we go a little bit deeper, we see that we have a place where we are distracted. That we live in a culture where we're stuck. We live in a culture where we are confined by materialistic things. We are confined by, our, by sin and by choice and by living for our self. And so what we realized is that what we do with our freedom, it matters. Jesus, last week we looked into what he said in, in the book of John. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And so we can almost chase our sin or chase this pursuit of freedom and, and find ourselves actually forfeiting true freedom. And the conclusion that we came to last week was that true freedom is found in Christ alone. And what we do with our freedom matters. Are we going towards life or are we going towards death in how we use our freedom tonight? And the gospel is awesome because Jesus sees you and I in our sin. He sees the mistakes we've made. And it's not like he's like, ah, man, you're, you're unforgivable. Or, oh, you're disqualified. Or you're damaged goods. I, I can't. No, see, he sees us confined and he, he leans in. He enters history and wants to free you and I. And we're going to talk more about that as we go along here tonight. But tonight, we can realize that, that we could start from the place that true freedom is found in Christ alone. And so I kind of said, all right, that's where we're going to end. And now next week, we're going to get into the how. So this week is the how. But before we do that, I mean, maybe some of you are new to church or some of you have been in church your whole life. Um, but here's the thing in church, to be honest. Sometimes we can say churchy things, you know what I mean? Like you say things like sanctified of the Holy Spirit. And people may have no idea what that means. Um, so even as a pastor, I'm going to be straight up honest with you, this happens sometimes. Um, when people find out I'm a pastor, uh, we get a lot of ranges of responses that are phenomenal. Uh, some of them, people are really like creeped out and they walk away, or some of them are really excited. In this case, someone was really excited. Like, oh, you're a pastor. Like as if they were like, looking for me. I was like, yeah, okay. Um, and I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, at, at a church? No, at a graveyard. Yes, at a church. Um, okay, and then they ask this question, is it a spirit-filled church? I don't know if this is a trick question, because here's the thing. If I say spirit-filled church, what am I agreeing to? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily know what you mean. If I say, yes, it's a spirit-filled church, are you expecting, you know, the chandeliers and people hanging off it and going wild? But if I say no, like, no one's like, yeah, no, no spirit here. We don't just like to be dry as possible. Like, so I don't know what to do sometimes. So sometimes these words, or like, one time someone looks at me and goes, oh, do you love the Lord? Do you love him? And I'm like, I just told you I'm a pastor. I really, if I'm leading with that, I hope I do. You know, like I do, you know. And so in church sometimes we can talk about stuff, right? And we can say stuff like, oh, we'll find true freedom in Jesus. Let's pray. And we pray and then you're kind of like, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? How do I get there? And so to the best of my ability tonight, I want to just look at, at two portions of scripture Typically, what we like to do is we like to chop down on one and really dig in deep. But tonight, for just the sake of this conversation, we're going to go into two different snapshots of Scripture, so to speak. And I believe that we can grab what it looks like to kind of walk in true freedom. I'm going to do my best to make it practical. I'm going to do it my best to make sure that it makes sense. So tonight, we're trying to answer the question, what does freedom in Christ look like? 
And so for those of us who are Christian in the room, this is a reminder. I think every point in our walk, we always have to be open to hearing something maybe that's familiar, but kind of running it against our heart and making sure that we're actually living it out. And so tonight, as we kind of go through this stuff, as we kind of go through the basics, so to speak, I think it will inform us, it will encourage us, maybe we need to reassess. Maybe if we need to kind of hit pause, look around. What kind of adjustments do I have to make? And how can I continue to walk in true freedom? If you're a new to faith, this is your first time back in church, or just trying to check it out, you're trying to understand all this for yourself, um, we're excited that you're here, and I hope you would kind of come along with us in this conversation. Um, a lot of times Christians are known for what they don't do, but I hope tonight that as we begin to discuss kind of why certain things are like that, but also why we live the way we live, uh, I hope it brings some understanding, and if anything, encourage you to look into God deeper for yourself. And so, like I said, we're going to be in two different portions of Scripture. So the first portion of Scripture that we're going to start with here tonight is John chapter 12. And so it's going to be up on the screen if you guys want to follow along. But it's John chapter 12, verse 24. And this is Jesus speaking. I love the trulys here. So we're going with that. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. So Jesus is talking about a farming analogy here. And he's saying that, look, if a single grain of wheat falls to the ground, it's not going to do anything. But if that grain of wheat dies, what happens is that it germinates the ground and a crop is produced. A crop way bigger than the single grain of grain. So a single death creates abundant life. And maybe you might be saying, okay, cool. What does this have to do with freedom? See, when Jesus was saying this, he was talking to his disciples and he was saying, look, I'm foreshadowing what is going to happen to me. Because Jesus was talking about himself. He was saying that I am going to die and my life will give life to others. And see, this is really important because multiple times in multiple ways in the gospel, we see Jesus kind of talks about his death. He kind of talks about his game plan so to speak. And this is important because if the fact that he talks about it so much, it it gives you and I insight to the fact that it was the plan all along. It's not like Jesus got to a point in his ministry where he realized, wow, these people are going to put me on a cross. Hey guys, uh, make this cool when I'm gone. No, from the beginning, Jesus was looking at his disciples and saying, look, this is in the cards. This is part of it. I'm going to die and it's going to bring life. And so what we start seeing here is that Jesus came to take away my sin. He came away to take away yours, to destroy the work of the devil, to buy you and I back. That his death, like a grain of wheat that dies, produces abundant, abundant life. And so Jesus wants to take your guilt tonight. He wants to take your shame. Maybe you know this, but maybe sometimes we, we kind of we do things in our life and we almost ostracize ourselves from God. But, but tonight, maybe it's just kind of, you know, holding yourself up to his love and remembering, hey, he wants me. He wants to take my guilt. He wants to take my shame. He wants to help me walk through what I'm going through here tonight. And so when we accept Jesus' offer of freedom or his salvation, we're forgiven and we're empowered. This is why last week we kind of came to that conclusion that true freedom is found in Christ alone. So tonight, basically, we have to realize that the doorway to freedom is, in a sense, John 
or those who believe in me will have what? I'll have eternal life. And so before we can even walk in freedom, we need to, and here's our first kind of point of the night, is accepting and embracing Jesus' gift of salvation. That as we walk in freedom, the way we do that is by accepting and embracing Jesus' gift of salvation. John 3, 16, when it says believe, it's not just saying, hey, let's just believe. Like, oh, I believe that he's a good person. Or I believe, you know, that this stage can hold me up. But it's more of a call to action. The word believe in the, in the original uh, Hebrew that it was written in uh, was referring to a call to action. Meaning not only do you just believe it in your mind, but you follow it with your actions. And so as we walk in the doorway, we're accepting and we're embracing Jesus' gift of salvation. But as we believe in him, it, it calls us to action. And so the next set of verses will kind of begin to unpack that idea. In verse 25, he says this, he who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. So this can be a little confusing. So we're going to kind of break it down. When it's talking about the person who loves his life, it means that you and I can sometimes live life in such a way where we only have this life in view. I'm guilty of that this morning, actually. Think about waking up. It's like sometimes like, all right, this is what I got to do today. I got to get all this done. And we think like, okay, we think only about this life. We don't think about what's next. We don't think about our eternity. And see, we as a culture are trained to put too much stock in this life. We kind of pamper our life. We kind of, you know, get all the things. It's almost like we like take all our money and we take all our possessions and we take all our experiences and we kind of hoard it to ourselves. We try to keep it safe. We try to, in a sense, live selfishly. We become, you know, worried about the material things. Like my iPhone was old the day I bought it. You know, it's like we live in such a fast-paced world and we try to keep up with it. And sometimes, because of that, we can get lost in ourselves. And when we get lost in ourselves, what happens? We can get lost in our sin. We stay closed off to God's ways. We put so much stock in this world. We love it so much that, in a sense, we squash the life that God has for us. And so Jesus is saying, look, in your pursuit, in that pursuit, you lose life. The here and now, we can be confined by our desires, but Without a savior, more importantly, we're on a pathway to forfeit our life eternal. And so when we love our life, we lose it. And so maybe tonight at this point you're like, okay, I see what you're getting at, Andrew. You're saying, if you love your life, you're going to lose it, so I need to hate my life. So when I get home tonight and someone goes, hey, how was church? You're going to be like, the preacher told me that Jesus said to hate my life. Great, I'm really excited I went to church today. Um, a lot of times we can almost feel like, all right, well, does that mean that I walk around miserable, you know? Kind of like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. You guys know who Eeyore is? Eeyore's right there. Look how sad he looks. And the weirdest thing is as I grew up and I start looking at a lot of things he says, he says a lot of like, self, like self-defeating statements like, I'm not good enough. I'm just going to be miserable forever. You know, and is that how we're supposed to live? You can get rid of that sad little donkey now. That's cool. And it's almost like we kind of feel like, man, like I, I got to just walk around miserable. Maybe that's what you're thinking that Christ is saying. And here, here's the truth is that culture kind of looks at us and they say, man, these people live a life of restriction. 
you know, they, they deny themselves of all this good stuff so that they can go to heaven, and they're probably miserable because of it. And so, argumentably, when we give up our life for Christ, the world could argue that we hate our life. Why? Because we don't chase after the same things that they do. And the truth is that we don't need to live like Eeyore, but with full joy. Because on the contrary, that true freedom is found in God's ways. Because no longer we're living for ourselves, but we're living for the intended purpose that God created us for. And see, when we're living in the purpose that God created us for, there's nothing like it. There is a level of freedom that you and I experience that is far greater than anything we can get from this world. And so here's a truth that we're gonna be, that's going to be up on the screen. It is not, God is not out to restrict our life. He's out to protect it. And see, that's what we need to have a view of here tonight. God is not out to restrict our life. He's out to protect it. Kind of like when you're driving down the road and you see guardrails. None of us really get mad at the guardrails. Okay, guardrails are, cr- are created so that we don't go off the road. See, the car was created to go over the bridge, not into the water, right? And so we can see the guardrails that is in life and we can say, okay, that makes absolute sense. But let's kind of apply that to some of the truth that God gives us. When God calls us to love and he calls us to forgive, basically he's calling you and I that those may be hard and it may feel like, no, I don't have time. I don't have the ability. I don't want to do that. I want to be free. I want to do my own thing. That person hurt me. And so I don't want to forgive and I don't want to love. But when we go against what our culture says and what it's all about you, but when we go against that and we choose to love and we choose to forgive, we become free from bitterness. We become Free from anger. Just a small example. Sexuality. God created sex. It's his idea. And he showed, dude, enjoy it. That, that is a gift that he created. He said, go ahead, enjoy it. But he's given us specific rules. He says, look, follow it in this context. I'm going to put guardrails up. And it's not to destroy your fun, but it's to protect you. And when we see that misuse, we see it bring deep sorrow. It ruins relationships. It breaks down families. You know, we, we, to the extreme, we see, you know, sex slavery and people being sold in the prostitution. And, and, and we see all these terrible, terrible things and where God is just giving us guidelines to follow it. And see, the world looks at us like we're crazy. But as you and I, even though it's hard, even though it's uncomfortable, align ourselves to Christ's ways, we find life here and now. The guardrails that he puts up actually protects our life. And we live fuller and we live richer. But more importantly, we live with him forever after. And so sometimes tonight we need to look at this life and realize that this is not all there is and that God has so much more for us on the other side. See, God also in the Bible says things like he wants to give good gifts to his children. That he wants to bless us. And so tonight, it's also important to realize that too. That our God wants to bless us and he's not calling us to live joylessly, but with tons of joy. And so if we hate our sin and we align ourselves with the truth that Jesus offers you and I, we're going to live more fully and we're going to live more richly. And so the second thing we see here tonight and what it looks like walking in, in true freedom is just aligning your life to Jesus' ways. 
Aligning your life to Jesus' ways. And, and here's the thing. We will not ever do that perfectly. But as we do that to the best of our ability, we have two things working for us. One, Christ is with us. And the second thing is that it actually works. It actually works. And so we're going to go to our second snapshot here tonight uh, in John 15. And we're going to start in verse 12. We're going to go ahead and dive into the next couple of things here. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus is just kind of coming out here and saying, love one another. I'm giving you a commandment. So these people should know that, but here he is again reminding them to love one another. And so we begin to see something like this, that living in freedom is equivalent with living a life characterized by love. I'm just going to read that one more time. Living in freedom is equivalent with living a life characterized by love. And so our culture, our culture kind of gives us a me first approach to this. It's self-serving. If you're worthy, I'll extend love to you. If I can get something out of this friendship, because like, you know, sometimes we love cautiously. And so, hey, if I'm going to get something out of this relationship, then man, I'm, I'm going to love that person because I know that they'll help me in this area. And so our life as a culture can encourage us to love, in a sense, selfishly. And the reason why is because people, loving people is complicated. And, and the thing is, tonight, if you and I, we love our life and we cling on to it, then we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to preserve it. And the thing is, this is true of me, we sometimes don't like taking a risk with relationships going wrong. We don't like to take that risk. So by default, you and I can naturally just kind of pull back and naturally just kind of be like, I need you to earn this. But then we see Jesus sets the example. In verse 13, it says that Jesus, it says, greater love than, has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. What is happening here? But Jesus is another time in scripture kind of foretelling what's going to happen to him. He's saying that he's going to lay down his life for us. And so naturally, when Jesus is telling us to do something, he's encouraging us to love. And then he says, greater love. And he gives an example of him laying himself down and then actually does it. Man, tonight, I think you and I are to draw the conclusion that we are to lay down our life for one another too. And so that means giving your time, giving your resources, laying down your needs and your desires. And here's the catch even if there's no benefit to you. And that's something that our culture does not train us naturally. That is not something I want to do when I wake up in the morning. I don't want to put myself out there sometimes. I don't want to, you know, care about someone and maybe they might hurt me. And, and here's the disclaimer too. This is not a message saying, go just open yourself up and be hurt by people. It's not saying to, if you're in an abusive situation, to stay in one. Obviously, there's a lot of wisdom, but basically for most cases, 
We have this me first attitude that's kind of ingrained in our head from living where we live and doing what we do. It's easy to shut others out. It's easy for us to idolize our life and try to keep it perfect, but not step out in love. Truth is that in this culture, love is earned. But in Christ, love is given. In culture, love is earned. But in Christ, love is given. And this is messy. It hurts. It doesn't come without a cost. But if you and I are actually working to hate our life, in a sense, we will live so much fuller. Because there's just nothing greater than when we are doing what God has programmed us to do. When, when God has called us to care about someone and you kind of just see that work in his plan, there's nothing greater than that. There's another level of freedom that we experience. And being a pastor, I mean, man, I see the best sometimes. Like, I see the absolute best. Some of you guys have been so amazing. You've blessed my life so deeply. But on the other side of the pendulum, there has been some deep wounds that comes with being in the people business, so to speak. And I say this because here's the thing. I could either let my scars define me or I could let my love define me. I could take Christ at his word and let love define me. And see, the latter brings freedom. There's no bitterness. I'm not going to judge you based off what someone did to me years ago. I'm going to open myself up to you. And see, when we choose to love, like Christ has called us to. When we kind of have an open approach and say, you know what? My life is not my own. God has bought me, okay? And he's encouraging me to not live so safely. Again, we experience a different aspect of freedom. And so the third aspect we see here is living a life characterized by love. That's another thing tonight that we see of living in freedom. Living a life that is characterized by love. And so Jesus continues in verse 14. He says this, if you are my friends, if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. And see, culture can kind of look at this and say, man, God's a bully because he's saying, You are my friends if you do what I command you. And maybe culture has pushed back, and maybe we've bought into it like, man, God just tells you to do these things, and you do them blindly, like just so we can go to heaven. Like, like that's not loving. And culture kind of pushes us. But a few answers for that. One, God is our creator. And the creator creates his creation for a purpose. And he knows that his commandments, the way he's designed it, the guidelines, the guardrails he has set up, bring life. And he's saying, look, follow this. It will bring you freedom. See, God has every right to instruct us how we are to live. But yet he's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on it. He doesn't strike us dead if we're not following his ways here and now. He allows us to choose. But yet, while we are complaining, and while we're bitter, and while we're, we're blaming him for a lot of things that happen, he comes, enters the pages of history, and dies to set us free. And 
I love what he says here because he says, no longer do I call you slaves, meaning I have set you free, or I will, at this point when he's saying it, I will die on the cross to set you free, so now you're no longer a slave, but you're a friend. Now, I don't know about you, but as Jesus enters history, he could have made us slaves. I mean, you ever put yourself, like, if I was God, right? If I was, imagine just coming and poof, kicks down the door. It's like, all right, cool. Uh, boom, destroy that village. Those people stink. We're going to build a big castle here. And he just starts moving things around, doing like, all right, we're going to call the people, and they're going to worship me, and they're going to serve me for my purposes. Do we see that in Scripture? We don't. We see a God who enters my brokenness, enters my pain, my mistakes, and says, I'm going to walk through that, and I'm going to die for you. I'm going to lay my life down for you. And so he calls us friends. And the cultural implication of that is that slaves, what, what do they do? They worked to pay off a debt, right? But because of the righteousness that, that Jesus gives us by dying for my sin and for yours, no longer do you and I have to pay off that debt. And he could look at us as a friend. A friend is there by choice. A slave is there because they're indebted. And so we begin to see our relationship with Christ change. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, that you love one another. And so Jesus starts off this part saying, he chose us. Why is this important? Because we often live like the slave trying to work off the debt. We can make it so much about our performance, about earning God's love when God's like, look, I died for you, I paid that. Walk in. The fact that he chose you and I despite our flaws means that you and I can love him fearlessly. That when we mess up in our day-to-day walk, that we don't need to be like, oh man, I, I gotta run over here. I gotta, I gotta earn my way back. But no, we need to live in that freedom knowing that he's forgiven us already. The hardest person to forgive in this world is ourselves. Joey spoke that a couple weeks ago in our youth group. And that's just stuck with me. Because a lot of times we hold ourselves back we hold our, our, ourselves to this deep level of content for maybe some of the sin that we've committed or things that has happened when jesus just say I'm, I'm here to set you free and not only do i want you to be free from those things but i want you to bear fruit maybe you're sitting here like okay that's a churchy thing to say bearing fruit like what does that mean it's an analogy so think of it this way so kind of like an apple tree would produce fruit okay a, as a christian we will produce a true Christian character. So if, if I'm bearing fruit in my life, and if you're bearing fruit in yours, we will look more like a loving person. We will look like someone who wants to go that extra mile. Someone who gives grace to people. Why? Because grace has been shown to me. Grace has been shown to my sins. And so when, when you sin against me, I, I'm, if I'm bearing fruit, then I'm, I'm going to show you the same grace. Maybe we're more patient. We are more like Jesus would be. And see, this is something we see growing in our life. Kind of like, it's not like you see an apple tree with no fruit. You wake up the next morning, boom, these huge apples. 
But what? Fruit takes time to grow. And likewise, our faith is the same way. And so our deeds don't earn us forgiveness and freedom. Jesus already earned that for us. But because of that, when we're walking in true freedom, what's happening inside me spiritually that God is doing will show itself in what I do. And that is the fruit that you and I bear. You know, and I kind of wish that I can just kind of like say a prayer and be like, God, can you make me perfect forever? And he'd be like, yeah, dude, and then I'll be great. You know what I mean? Like, don't you ever wish that? Like, you just wish that he'd be like, boom, all right, you're going to be patient with everyone. But then you're waiting in line. You're like, I'm not patient. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, he raised his voice. Yeah. (laughs) I just, you know, sometimes I just wish like, can you just rub out all the mistakes? Like, and we could just be perfect, right? But the life of faith here tonight, guys, is it's not a one and done thing. It's not like you say a prayer and, it's, and that's it. It's a process. It's a beautiful process. And see, so you and I, we're always growing. Jesus is not waiting for us to arrive at a certain point before he's like, oh, now you're a Christian. But it's a process. And, these, and, and the freedom that we have in Jesus, he's the one who empowers us to do it. And so the last and final thing that we see here tonight that we're talking about is as, as far as what it looks like to walk in free, freedom, we're going to see a, seeing a fruitful return in your life. You're going to see a fruitful return in your life. And maybe you're saying, well, well, why should I do this? And I just have one last scripture as we wrap up here tonight. Um, in, verse, in John 15, verse 11, Jesus kind of gives us the inside scoop as to why we do all of this. In verse 11, it says this, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. And so Jesus is just saying, look, when you keep my commandments, when you love fearlessly, when you accept that gift of salvation, when you allow me to bear fruit, in your life, you're going to have purpose. You're living for the purpose in which God has created you, and there is nothing like living in the purpose of the Creator. Your joy in that moment will be full. And when I think about the word full and my life, it sounds a lot like free, doesn't it? And tonight, you may not remember every single bullet point, But I hope wherever you find yourself in life, wherever culture pushes you, that you'll remember this one statement. It's this, choose and walk in Christ's freedom. Choose and walk in Christ's freedom. Whether you've been a Christian for like 10 minutes or 100 years, we will always be tempted to follow the current of the world, to just kind of see the Instagram highlights and say, man, this is how I want to live. You know, that guy deserves that, so I'm going to lash out in anger. I'm going to to respond this way because that's how the world would and and that's what I want to do. But man, when we remember this statement, we say, you know what, I want to choose and I want to walk in Christ's freedom, we will see our lives much fuller. And so how do we do that? How do we do this? I just want to quickly just hit some practical application and then we're done. So for the first one, accepting and embracing Jesus' gifts of salvation. Tonight, just accept Christ's gift. I mean, keep coming back to church. Keep asking questions. Again, we have the evidence CD set for you that, that kind of explain why we take Jesus at his word. 
Grow in your faith. No question is a dumb question tonight. Jesus is not afraid of your sin. He destroyed it on the cross so that you can come near to him. And he's not expecting you to be perfect. Why? Because a Christian life is a process, and, and we grow, and it takes time to grow, and he gets that. And so do we here. So I hope tonight, if you're saying, man, I just want to accept Christ as my Savior, I want to walk through that door, that tonight maybe you would come up, receive prayer, or you would talk with one of us. We'd love to encourage you in that. But keep coming back. Keep asking questions. Number two, aligning your life to Jesus' ways. And this often comes with some fear. All right, well, if I have to change myself, right, then things are going to change. And we don't really necessarily like change. JP is a pastor at Watermark Church, and he said this about this aspect. He said, sometimes we need to change your playground and your playmates. Change your playground and your playmates. An example of this would be, you know, maybe you find yourself saying something like, man, I always, I always do something I regret when I go to the bar with those people. Then maybe tonight, don't go to the bar. Maybe tonight, that friend group that's tearing you down, maybe for a season you got to back away. And so many times that we, we kind of get stuck in the same scenarios over and over again, and if we just change our scenery, maybe we would find a little bit more freedom. It's adjusting our ways, not making excuses tonight. Um, who's surrounding you? More importantly, who, who's the one who influences you? You know, I, I, don't, I forgot who did this quote, but it's a popular one. It says, show me your friends and I'll, I'll show you your future. Who's the people that are pouring into your life? Are they pushing you towards freedom or are they, they pushing you towards confinement? And I know that it can kind of be scary. We kind of think that some things, giving up some things in our life is just too hard. Oh, it's too big. It's too big to do that. It's too, it's too scary to change that. But the question I want to lovingly push back at tonight is, what is the cost if you don't? What is the cost if you keep going the way that you've been going? Is it worth the cost of your peace or your freedom? The third one is living a life characterized by love. Man, maybe just remembering the grace that was shown to you by Christ. Show that same grace to others. Go the extra mile. So often we're like, someone asks us, hey, I need you to do this. And we just say, all right, I'm going to do those requirements and get out of there. But what if we went the extra mile for people? What if we saw someone sitting alone? We saw someone going through a rough time. We opened up our homes. We opened up our hearts. We made time for someone. You know what? Ah, man, I'd rather just kind of hang out and have a good time and ignore that person's over there is upset. But what if we made time for them? What if we made ourselves available? That's how we practically start walking in that direction. And seeing a fruitful life return in your life. The fourth one. And this is as, it's simple, but it, it could also be kind of hard. As just letting God work in your life. Maybe that means putting yourself in an atmosphere where you can learn. Where you'll be challenged. Where you can study God's word. Where that fruit that Christ wants to plant in your life will slowly grow. But we all know that's, that good things take time. The cheap things, they fade, they come quickly, but lasting things take a while to build. And I want to encourage you tonight to just keep walking in that. And so pray, ask the Lord, speak to him, invite him, kind of like you would talk to a person. Let's talk with God.
And so tonight, whether you have known the Lord for a long time or you're just kind of walking in the front door to this, I hope tonight that you would encourage yourself daily to choose and walk in Christ's freedom. There's no sin. There's no situation that can hold you back from what God wants to do in your life. You're not a mistake. The things you've done don't define you. They don't have to define you. That forgiveness exists in our Lord. And that's what he offers. And I pray tonight that we would remind our hearts of that or we would walk into it for the first time. Let's pray tonight. Jesus, we live in a culture that is so fast-paced that pushes us right to the edge and when we fall over it, doesn't really offer any help or any solutions. We open the books, magazines and tabloids and internet articles and we just see brokenness surrounding the celebrities who have everything that so often we can chase and copy and idolize. And God, we've been programmed. And I thank you, God, that you saw that. You stepped down into history and you said, I will pay with my life for their sin. And I pray, God, that we would live in that power because most often we just get caught up in the current of the world and what it offers. And we kind of naturally just push your way aside. I pray tonight we would be bold. We'd accept your salvation. We'd align ourselves to your ways that we would love fearlessly. And God, that that we would see fruit grow in our life. We would see you change our hearts, help us in our pursuits when it comes to forgiving and loving. And God, we can be so messed up, but that is not gonna stop you from what you want to do. So Jesus, we want to give you our brokenness. We want to give you our, our broken pieces, God, knowing that you are more than able to help us conquer. And I thank you, God, that all throughout Scripture, you use more broken and messed up people to change the world than anything. And you do that to shame the wise. So God, I thank you that we can't even go through Scripture without seeing you use a broken person. So I pray for the person tonight that feels like they've been counted out it feels like that they've messed up too much or they've gone too far. I pray that they tonight would know the potential that, that lives in you, Jesus. That you are pleased, that you would go to the cross for them if it was only them. And that they would live in that freedom. They would not depart from it. And when they do, they wouldn't feel guilty. They wouldn't stay stuck, but they would come running back knowing that you're a God with open arms. You don't speak judgment, but you've come to save pray tonight, God, that we would continue to live in that. We thank you for your great name, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen.